Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to be here with you um, as we wrap up this series on the indescribable gifts of God. Uh, today we're going to be in Acts 3, and uh, our message today is called God's Gift of Restoration. So uh, I'm on Christmas break and uh, very much enjoying that. Um, been able to watch a few movies and, and do some reading. And uh, I always love the movies or stories that are out there, and there's a lot of them, about people who are accused or convicted of things they didn't do. You know, they're, they're innocent, and so you're, you're watching the movie, you're, you're reading the book, and, and you just feel the pain of that person. Uh, you're hoping that you're going to see justice at the end. You're hoping you're going to see restoration, and it just makes for a really good story. Um, I think of movies like Shawshank Redemption, um, or Just Mercy is a movie that's coming out very soon I'm really excited about based on a, a best-selling book. Um, if you've seen the movie The Hurricane, um, Lion King, where Uncle Scar blames Simba for Mufasa's death, and you're hoping that you're going to see justice at the end. Um, and I just recently saw an interview with, with a man named Ricky Kidd, who is a wrongly convicted man from Missouri. After he spent 23 years in prison, his conviction was finally wiped away. 23 years. Pro bono legal efforts assisted him in his fight for justice, and he refers to these lawyers as his superheroes. When asked how he's doing in a recent interview, he said, these days since he's been out of prison, these 111 days, not that he's counting or anything, have been great. He's rejuvenated, he's refreshed after what he says was a two-decade-long nightmare that he couldn't wake up from. Kid says he's turning his anger into passion for bringing restoration to others who have no voice. You know, this is a, a great picture of what we're going to see today in our passage. As we've been exploring the indescribable gifts of God during this series, we've seen how we've been rescued by our superhero, Jesus. And today we're going to look into what is the proper response to the gifts of God. So here's the big idea. Here's the one thing that I want you to remember. Um, not that you can only remember one thing. Some people have very little faith in you, that you can only remember one thing. I know you can remember everything I'm going to tell you, but if there's one thing um, to really take away from this, it's, it's this. Repentance, we're going to see, is the proper response to the indescribable gifts of Jesus, and we're going to see repentance leads to times of refreshing and restoration. And unlike Ricky Kidd, our situation is not about getting wrongly convicted, we, we can't rely on our innocence, but just like Kid, our conviction has been wiped out, and we get to experience times of refreshing, and we get to bring restoration to others. So before we get into our passage in, in Acts, I want to um, talk about some context here. Um, we're going to go back to the book of Luke, and we've been in this series um, for a long time uh, called Life on Purpose. And the author of the Gospel of Luke, Luke is also the author of Acts, and so these books go together. Um, back in Luke, we've been going through how uh, Luke is recounting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in one part in Luke, Jesus says that he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is why he was sent by the Father. That's why he was sent, to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And at the end of Luke, the resurrected Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Well, the book of Acts picks up right at the same spot, and Luke tells us that Jesus instructs his followers to wait in Jerusalem uh, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
And in Acts 3, Peter is leading the apostles after the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost to fill all the believers. So by the time we get to Acts 3, we see this small group of believers. They're incarnationally living out the good news of the kingdom. And that sets us up for chapter 3. And I'm going to read, starting with verse 1, our passage today. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Our passage in in Acts is is a great follow-up to the the last sermon I preached on Luke 2. So uh, if you remember that sermon, and I know you do because you remember everything I tell you, um, uh, that that sermon was titled, Seek First the Kingdom of God. And in that uh, message, we looked at how Isaiah, the prophet, many, many years before Jesus, 700 years before Jesus, proclaimed that God's salvation meant that God himself was going to return to Zion to reign as king. That God was going to do something big that the Israelites were anticipating. Then we looked at in Luke 2 how Simeon, this older man, full of the Holy Spirit, was waiting for the redemption of Israel to be ushered in by the Messiah. And he was waiting in the temple, and he finally gets to meet the Messiah, and he gets to hold the baby Jesus. And for Simeon, finally getting to see and hold the Messiah in the temple meant that God was doing what Isaiah had foretold centuries before. 
And this would not only lead to the redemption of Israel, but as the Old, Old Testament prophets had always promised, it would mean God's salvation would come to the Gentiles. So we have a series of things here that we're going to look at. I think I have a slide that's going to kind of break this down. If, if we look at Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, he's telling them God is going to return to Jerusalem in a special way. God is going to reign. God is going to redeem Israel. And all of this will mean that God's salvation for the world has come. That's what Isaiah is telling the Israelites. Then we get to Simeon. And he's holding the baby Jesus. And he's telling everybody, this is the Messiah. And God's salvation for the world is right here. He's in my hands. Then we get to Peter, which is after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And Peter is telling the crowd, God has returned to Jerusalem, just like we've been waiting. And he's returned as Jesus, the Messiah. God is reigning right here, right now. God's salvation for the world has come. Times of refreshing are here for us. And eventually, all of creation is going to be restored. So Peter's proclamation of this amazing good news is what we call the kingdom of God. This is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is what we often refer to as the now and not yet aspect of the kingdom. The kingdom is here. Jesus is king. He is reigning. But we're going to see we're also anticipating for Jesus to return and he's going to restore everything. So Tim Keller, a theologian, says this about the kingdom. He says, The kingdom of God is the renewal or the restoration of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. And it's important to remember that you know, all these things we're talking about, salvation, the kingdom of God, times of refreshing, the restoration, it's, it's not just about the future aspect of us going to heaven when we die. Um, some authors of a book called When Help, Helping Hurts, which is a really good book, um, before they get to kind of their main argument, they, they have a foundation for their argument which is rooted in, in the gospel. And they do a really good job of explaining the gospel. And they, they say this, Jesus' message is even more grand and sweeping epic than that. It's more grand and sweeping than just, you know, we get to go to heaven someday when we die. It's much more than that. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the king who is bringing healing to the entire cosmos. If and only if you repent and you believe in me, you will someday enjoy all of the many benefits that my kingdom brings. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. And when the crippled beggar is healed in the name of Jesus, this is the continuation of exactly what Jesus was doing during his ministry, proclaiming the good news in word and deed, healing people, and telling everybody about this new era that the world is in because of his work. And it's worth noting here how Peter's evangelism, uh, as he's talking to the crowd here, includes all of these elements. You know, it's not just a, a watered-down message that sometimes we hear where it, he's just saying, well, this supernatural healing that you just saw, it proves that Jesus is God. So just, you know, put your, your faith into him and someday you'll go to heaven. And, and that's it. That's not what Peter's doing here. He's doing much more than that. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus by showing how everything in the Scriptures, the whole story of Israel, has been leading to this new age 
of the kingdom. So, in light of this amazing good news, the question for us today is what is our, the proper response to the indescribable gifts of Jesus? And this is what Peter is going to tell his audience. Well, he gives one simple command throughout this whole passage. He says this in verse 19. He says, repent then and turn to God. So there you have it. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to repent. And if you've gone to church very much in your life, you've probably heard this one or two times or a million times. You know, we hear it all the time. Stop going your own way. Stop sinning. Turn to God. And why is this such a big deal in the life of a Christian? Well, first of all, repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not just a prayer that you pray at one point in your life. It's a way of life. So our first point is repentance is a way of life. The great church reformer Martin Luther said this. He said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. All of our life is one of repentance. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is fundamental to the will of God. Plain and simple. Turn to Him. This is, of course, more than just feeling sorry. Uh, you know, feeling sorry doesn't really accomplish a lot. It's a starting point. But just think about your life. You know, if you've had an argument with somebody, with your spouse or or a friend, or a coworker, and you get to the point where you know you're in the wrong. You've done something wrong. Maybe they did too, but you, you feel bad about it. You feel guilt. You know in your heart of hearts that you've messed up. What happens if you feel sorry about this? What happens if you just go on with your life, and all you do is feel sorry about how you've wronged somebody, and maybe severely altered the relationship with that person? You know, do you feel good in this situation? No, you don't feel good. You, you continue to carry that guilt with you. But think about what happens when you confess your wrong. When you turn from your self-centered ways to the path that leads you to change your ways to reconcile with that person that you've wronged. Right? We've all been there. We've all done this in our life. What happens when that person that you've wronged knows that you're genuine, they can see that you've changed, and then they forgive you? the weight of that guilt of that sin is lifted. You know, I had a, a teacher in high school, a science teacher, Mrs. Humphrey, and uh, Mrs. Humphrey was so old. And this sounds like a joke, but it's, this is the truth. <laughs> Mrs. Humphrey was so old that my friends who grew up in, in this area, northeastern Ohio, their parents had her as a teacher, but not just their parents. Their grandparents had Mrs. Humphrey as their teacher. Three generations. No joke. This is real. And there was all sorts of stories about Mrs. Humphrey. She'd been around forever. Um, she was quite old when I had her in science class. And we had heard that at one point in her life, um, you know, she had several um, sicknesses and things that she was always dealing with, but, you know, she would usually show up to school. Not always. I had her my senior year, and there was at least two days where she just didn't show up at all. And we just sat there with no substitute. Um, but, you know, Mrs. Humphrey could do that. She could get away with that. Um, but we had been told that she had, at one point, a 30-pound tumor that she didn't even know about. 
so she was just going on with life, uh, teaching, using the same notes that she had used from the 1950s, <laughs> carrying around this 30-pound tumor, and she didn't know about it until she went to the doctor. They obviously saw it. She got it removed. And can you imagine how she felt after this, after she gets a 30-pound tumor removed? She had to have felt quite different. Um, and I think that's kind of how our sin is a lot of times. Our sin is like a 30-pound tumor that we carry around with us that maybe we don't even know it's there. We get used to it. And Peter says in verse 19, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. So what good is repentance? When we turn to God, He always accepts us and our sins, I love the, the wording here, are wiped out. And so often we carry the burden of our sins either as a believer or not a believer and we don't realize it. We try to run from our sins and ignore it, but we've got this 30-pound tumor that's weighing us down. God is imploring us to daily repent of our sins, to turn to Him, and He will always, always wipe out our sins. And, you know, how do we do this? You know, how do we make repentance a daily part of our lives? I think it's actually rather simple um, to think about how to do this. It's not simple to do it. Um, but I think it, it's just a heart-mind thing that if, if you say a prayer, it, it may be something like this. I, I um, came up with, or I found this verse, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I love this psalm. It's, it's, the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Be honest with God on a daily basis. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know everything about me, God. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how we can repent on a daily basis. We come before God. We ask Him to search us, to reveal in us things that we need to change so that we can turn to Him and He can wipe out our sins. And what happens when our sins are wiped away? We get times of refreshing. Repentance brings refreshment. Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Scott McKnight, another theologian, says this, he says, this refreshing can be understood as ongoing realization of God's gracious redemption and relief as seen in such things as forgiveness and the power of the Spirit. Ongoing realizations of God's gracious redemption. These, these times of refreshing that we can experience. And we all have a desire for times of refreshing, especially in this Christmas season, right? Christmas can be draining, can be stressful, We've got the new year coming up. New year's means new resolutions, new goals, and likely new disappointments. But what we need is to be refreshed by the power of God. And nothing can bring us true refreshment like turning to God. Now, keep in mind that this is not the message that we're bombarded with every day of our lives. And I think it's important to think about that, to be um, realistic about how we get so much garbage that's thrown at us throughout our daily lives, which is why it's so important to be in the Word. But um, 
a couple weeks ago, Dave was, was talking about this. He talked about how easy it is to be tempted by so many things and so many activities that we're told are going to f- fulfill our needs and our desires. I mean, it's just all the time. We have nonstop ads that are t- telling us that we can get refreshed by just buying the latest tech gadget that can do everything for us. You know, we've all seen these commercials. Um, we don't even have to do anything anymore. You just say the magic words. You don't have to type because that's too hard. You just say it, and our lights can get turned on, and our temperature can be exactly right, and music can be playing when we enter the house. And it's, it, to me, it's kind of comical that we can get all these things uh, for us. I'm just envisioning somebody just laying on a couch and saying, you know, Siri or uh, Echo or whatever it's called, uh, what's the meaning of life? Just tell me. The and that's all you got to do. Just sit there, say the words, say the magic words, and you can get refreshed and fulfilled and everything you need from these gadgets. You know, or New Year's. We've got all these workouts that people are going to start. And that's not bad, but, you know, if that's where our refreshment is coming from, if that's where we're putting our hope, um, we're going to be disappointed. And it could be anything. It could be the next vacation. It could be the, um, the perfect on-demand TV streaming device that we're all trying to get. Um, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but often these are attempts at refreshment that we try to do. They're really just distractions we use to run away sometimes from our sins. And we're still lugging around this 30-pound tumor. And we're just going from day to day trying to get that next thing rather than repenting and turning to God. Well, the Bible tells us that repentance is what brings times of refreshing in the life of a Christian. And this doesn't mean that we have to figure everything out or will ourselves to be a certain way before we can repent. Repentance is a recognition that going our own way is not sufficient and turning to God for his forgiveness and allowing him to change us and restore us. So finally, repentance also means that we're going to be active in restoration. We're going to turn to God. We're going to experience times of refreshing. And we're going to take that and be agents of restoration. Peter says this in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. This is the go big or go home part of Peter's message. Peter is proclaiming how the kingdom of God will bring restoration to all of creation. Think about that. This is the not yet aspect that we hope for. We look forward to the full manifestation of the kingdom, but this should not be a hope in escapism. There's a lot of teaching in Christian circles that focus on Jesus returning to rapture us away from this world to go to a far off heaven. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, this is what a lot of people think about. You know, he's, he's got to come and preach the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's why the Father has sent me. And a lot of people associate that with, well, he's got to teach people that you need to put their faith in him so we can go to heaven. And that's all they get out of that. The goal in this way of thinking is to escape to heaven someday and leave behind a world that's just going to be destroyed. And this is simply not what the Bible teaches. 
In Romans 8, think about what Paul says here about what's going to happen to our creation. He says, Romans 8, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is God restoring his creation. God's good creation of Genesis 1 will be restored to its original goodness. And this is why we see in Revelation 11, John saying, looking into the future, the kingdom of the world, that's what we are in right now, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Or Revelation 21, he says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The new Jerusalem is coming from heaven to earth, and the two will be one, and God will restore his creation. Every atom that's tainted by sin will be restored by God someday. You know, if, if we're thinking about this concept of restoration, um, there's a lot of shows on TV that talk about restoring old homes, renovating or restoring old homes. Uh, a lot of people are, are good mechanics. They can restore an old car. Uh, my mom, uh, I grew up in a house with four guys. I have three older, three older brothers and my dad. And my mom decorated our entire house in nothing but pink and purple flowers and decorations that she made. And she had this amazing talent where she could take junk, she could take antiques and restore it into something beautiful. And so that's what I grew up around, um, this, this amazing creativity and ability to restore things. And this is not my forte. I, I can't do that unless restoring an old car means replacing the window washing fluid. I can do that. Uh, that's about the extent that I can do. But I know enough, at least, to know that restoring things does not mean destroying them and starting from scratch. So restoration is a beautiful concept because it's taking something that is broken or in disrepair and transforming it into something new. And this restoration of creation will happen when Jesus returns in the future. But we can see in our passage today and throughout the rest of Acts and the New Testament that God is not just in the business of future restoration. He's in the business of restoring people here and now. Again, let's look, look at Tim Keller's quote. The kingdom of God is the renewal or the restoration of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health and beauty and freedom. And the book of Acts is full of God restoring things and people to health and beauty and freedom. Think about the believers in Acts 2. Uh, it says that they were together and had everything in common. Or think about the restoration of Saul, you know, this former terrorist of Christians who becomes the leader of the church. I mean, that's restoration. Think about the bringing together of Jews and Gentiles into one body, into one church. Think about all the healings that, that the apostles do in the name of Jesus this is showcasing God's restoration in people's lives. And Paul talks about this, I think, very clearly in 2 Corinthians. 
So listen for the message of renewal and restoration and reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, so from now on, and he's talking about after the resurrection of Jesus, okay, after we've witnessed this, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So in Christ, God doesn't count our sins against us. And just like Ricky Kidd, <clears throat> our conviction has been wiped away. We've been refreshed and restored by Christ. And it's not surprising to me that Ricky Kidd, this man who was convicted for something he didn't do and then restored, it's not surprising that he's taking his newfound freedom to try to bring restoration to others who are experiencing pain and suffering. He's a perfect guy to be an ambassador for that cause. And as new creations in Christ, we are the perfect people to be Christ's ambassadors for reconciliation and restoration in our communities. This means when we live and love and give like Jesus in our daily lives, we are living, breathing examples of God's restorative work to a broken world. And we point people to the future reality of the new heaven and the new earth. So stop and think about all the opportunities that you have in your sphere of influence to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Whether it's in your neighborhood, your work, your family, your friends, all of the daily interactions and conversations that you have where you can be an agent of restoration and reconciliation. Maybe it's something small, but we've been renewed and refreshed. We can take that message, the beauty of the gospel, and bring it into other people's lives. Think about the ministries in our church, Bays of Threads, Parent Teen. Aren't these great ways to participate in God's restoration in people's lives? Christians throughout the ages have acted as ambassadors for God's ministry for reconciliation and restoration. Um, I come from a Quaker background on both sides of my family, and I, I don't know if you've heard much about Quakers. I think we've all had Quaker oats, so you might be thinking of that. Um, but Quakers were very active Christians in trying to promote equality. And uh, I was recently reading um, a book at my dad's house about the efforts of Quakers to try to abolish slavery in England and in the United States. And, you know, they saw these efforts as advancing the cause of God's kingdom. One Quaker in the 1840s said this. He said, The Society of Friends, which is the Quakers, in England as a body and individually continue in active cooperation with their fellow countrymen for the advancement of the cause of the Redeemer's kingdom among men, laboring in accordance with the true faith that when the obstructions which men have interposed shall be removed, God will grant that holy prayer which Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, and his kingdom will come, and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the Lord's Prayer, that the kingdom comes 
that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can be a part of that. That's what we pray that we're a part of. And this is not saying that our good deeds is going to usher in the kingdom, um, which is what the social gospel was teaching back in the early 1900s. Um, our deeds do not usher in the kingdom. The kingdom has already been established by Jesus, regardless of what, sorry, whoa, getting out of hand here. Um, irregardless of what we do, um, the kingdom is already here, but when we are active in that restoration work, we are manifesting the reign of God. We manifest, we show that to people when we're a part of restoration work. And repenting of the sins of slavery and working for the restoration of the slaves was seen by the Quakers as living out this reality. Living out the reality of the kingdom of God, of His will being done on earth. So we anticipate as Christians that great day when Jesus returns and when He restores all of creation. We anticipate that. And in the meantime, we repent daily. We turn to God so that we can participate in God's restorative work. So that's the now and not yet aspect. And we can see this now and not yet aspect with our Quaker abolitionist friend who also says this. He says, In this faith, Quakers in England feel the responsibility resting upon them to preserve in untiring labors for the abolition of violence, oppression, and wrong, regarding this as man's portion of this great work, preparing us for the coming of that glorious day when all men shall see eye to eye and God shall be all and in all. So, you know, we may not be involved in restorative work like abolition of slavery, but our community, our world, desperately needs us to persevere in untiring labors for reconciliation and restoration. And again, that might be small acts that we, we do with our neighbors. That might be conversations you have with your coworkers when they are uh, expressing things that are going on in their life and we can bring the healing power of Jesus into that conversation. And we can talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. And we can be agents of this restoration. When people see how Christians deal with the outcasts, with the marginalized, how we talk about political events, you know, when they see how we deal with those things, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we deal with trials, how we deal with difficult people, when they see how we do that, they get a taste of that glorious day when God will be all and in all. They get to see the future of restoration because God is doing that within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and just as importantly as that, when we fail to do this, right, when we mess up and they see that, but they see us repent, when they see us re return to God, they can witness the great times of refreshing and restoration that we gain from Christ. So that is my challenge for us today, is to live a life of repentance, to experience that, that refreshing that only comes from the grace of God and to use that to be agents of restoration in our world. Let's pray. Lord, um, we're humbled by um, the, the greatness, the bigness of your gospel. Um, Lord, and, and we're reminded that uh, this is not um, 
about the power of positive thinking. This is not about um, just kind of uh, getting us all excited and, and, and going out on our own to try to change the world. This is about being equipped and being refreshed by your grace, by the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that wipes our sins away so that we can continue your work and that your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Continue to do this within our church, within us as individuals, so that you are glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.